Hello, everyone, and welcome to PwC's Talking Tax Podcast, a forum for us at PwC to share some perspectives on topical tax matters with a particular focus on how these matters impact industrial manufacturers. I'm John Livingstone, PwC's Global Industrial Products Tax Leader, and I'm very pleased to host today's discussion. This podcast is another in a series we plan to bring you while we continue to operate in our virtual environment. We have been very happy with how these podcasts have been received to date, but we do hope that they only serve as a bridge to the day when we can get back to doing our live quarterly webcasts in person from our Washington, D.C. studios. So thank you for joining us, and we hope you find these podcasts beneficial. Today's topic will be focused on some of the takeaways from PwC's recent global manufacturing survey of almost 600 chief operating executives and the related implications for tax executives. We designed the survey to be particularly focused on how these COOs believe their businesses and priorities have been impacted by the pandemic with a focus on both short-term and long-term consequences. The survey results highlight several very notable shifts in how these operating executives are managing their businesses. There is a level of disruption occurring in these businesses that we have not seen in many years, and it is happening against the backdrop of significant tax policy changes in the U.S. and around the world. So one significant takeaway from the survey that we want to focus on in this discussion is that there are unique opportunities for tax executives to engage with their operating executive colleagues around optimizing the investments that companies are making to respond to these market disruptions. We'll spend some time in this discussion around those opportunities. To discuss the results of the survey and some of these related tax implications, I am very pleased to be joined by Anil Kurana, an advisory partner and our global industrial product services leader, and by Alex Velashko, a tax partner and PwC's value chain transformation leader. Both Anil and Alex have deep experience working with companies to help optimize operating models from both an operations and tax perspective. And so I'm looking forward to hearing their perspectives today. Welcome, Anil and Alex. Hey, John. Thank you so much. Really delighted to be here. I love this format and certainly look forward to providing my non-tax perspective into the discussion today. John, thanks for having me as well. Uh, Glad to be here. Looking forward to this discussion. All right, great. Well, let's jump in. So, Neil, let's start with perhaps an overview of the most significant challenges that our respondents highlighted in the survey. One that was noted for sure involved ensuring that employees at manufacturing facilities could work safely. And certainly we see that as an ongoing challenge and a very important continuing priority for these COOs in the future. But as we drill down on challenges that look like they may stay with these businesses beyond the immediate health concerns, What stood out as the most notable challenges to you in looking at the data? Thanks, John. That's correct, right? While the immediate focus was on health and business revival, given that we asked them for a short-term and a longer-term perspective, a couple of other really important themes that emerged as well. The first one was around competitive threats. Manufacturing executives essentially felt that the impact on the business from the competition, changing customer needs, and how, you know, with the challenges of COVID, there are different models to apply resources by their competition was a key one. And this impacted both large and small companies and reflects real sense of urgency to say, how do we get prepared for the next, you know, five years or so? And some of that requires investments. So that's number one, is the impact of competitive threats. Second, we actually observed a fairly strong sense of the demand for digital products and along with that changes in digital business models. There are shifts in customer demands happening where they're looking for 
you know, online service of various kinds, whether that in a product or a service. Along with that, one of the major shifts that's happening that was, I'd say, catalyzed by COVID was that marketing and sales, especially in the B2B industrial sort of segment, is actually becoming more digitized. And what that means is information available online, ability to interact with executives uh, on the sales side. So that's part of the shift as well. And then more broadly, there are shifts happening to more digital elements in manufacturing and sales. And what that means is cyber and cyber risks have become really important for our respondents. And this is true around the world. This is true in the US, this is true in Japan, this is true in Germany, Europe, and so on. Broadly true. The third big one is actually supply chain. In some ways, that's an obvious one. For larger companies which have complex and global supply chains, there's a series of disruptions that related to shutdowns around the world, you know, factory shutdown because of COVID. There was supply stranded at ports on ships. Demand for certain products, you know, went up and down depending on which product it was and which timing it was. And certainly, as we're seeing today as well, the availability or supply of raw materials and some components like stainless steel for the auto industry, semiconductors for multiple industries, and several other issues pressure these large companies in their ability to meet demand. And then add tariffs onto this. Remember, tariff changes have been happening for the last several years. This is on top of that, that the supply chain design now needs to reflect some of that. And then, of course, you think about the last month when President Biden issued an executive order on supply chain for America. That further created an emphasis from these companies on what considerations they should bring in, both from a policy perspective, but also supply chain redesign sort of point of view. So quite a big set of changes that we see over the next couple of years, aside from the short-term shifts as well. Okay, thanks, Anil. So, Alex, let's turn to the tax implications of some of what Anil just outlined. As we have noted, the survey data is suggesting a heightened level of investment in the operating model, including investments in machinery and equipment that will help to enable the shift to automate the factory floor and to enable more digital interactions with customers and within the supply chain. Under current tax law, those investments are generally immediately deductible, which means the after-tax cost of these investments is lower and perhaps provides an opportunity for tax directors at companies to engage with COOs around opportunities to stretch capital budgets and accelerate their investment plans. Similarly, Anil mentioned the cyber threat that the digital shift has caused, and we have seen plenty of opportunities in the market around companies leveraging the R&D credit opportunities around those cyber investments. But beyond those issues, Alex, what do you see as the more significant tax issues and opportunities arising from the disruption caused by the pandemic? Sure, John, as you and Anil just talked about, these CO level decisions all have very significant tax consequences, either short term or structural, you know, longer term. I'll focus on two areas just to illustrate the way you just teed up. You know, one is digital investments, process automation, and the other one around supply chain disruption. When it comes to digital transformation and process automation, which is a big trend that the survey is discerning, there's a few things here from the tax perspective. One, as companies investing in these capabilities, a lot of times there's new valuable, you know, intangibles, process, know-how, those kind of capabilities that are coming about as a result of these investments. And so we obviously then need to consider how those costs funded, who owns these sort of economic fruits to these sort of capabilities, and how do you measure and track value that's being driven as a result of these, you know, digitization, you know, automation investments. That's one example of a tax impact. Another example of tax impact relating to this is automation is really changing the way companies 
work and executives work. We certainly already saw a lot of examples of remote working, people operating, making decisions involving the manufacturing footprint value chain from significant distances enabled by data and technology and connectivity. And this really conflicts or at least creates a lot of tension with a lot of our existing tax rules, which still very much operate based on where people are physically located when they perform their duties. So that's just another example of just rethinking workforce, you know, these remote working arrangements and what that really means from the tax perspective. When it comes to supply chain, so this is a huge area of focus because supply chain, planning, sourcing, production typically are economically significant parts of the business value chain. And a lot of the tax rules and tax planning historically had focused around these activities. When I hear Anil and operating executives talk about just huge disruption in supply chain, you know, manifesting itself in either rethinking make versus buy decisions, investing in different types of supply chain management or sourcing capabilities, engaging with suppliers differently, changing countries of origin. Those all have significant both income tax and indirect tax, customs and VAT consequences. So John, to me, these are just two areas where there's a huge need and also a huge opportunity for tax executives to engage and help guide the business to write kind of total cost decisions. The one thing that we're seeing over and over again, if you look at these sort of changes just purely from the business perspective, not taking into income tax and indirect tax, you're missing part of the value equation. And similarly, if you just look at them as a tax opportunities, you're really missing the whole part of the iceberg, which is the business is just beginning to operate differently in light of these challenges. So Alex, you and Anil have uh, both highlighted disruptions in supply chains as a major result of the pandemic and the lockdowns. So let's focus on that a bit more. Are there any specific trends you are seeing relative to geographies that are being impacted by this shift? Are there any notable trends related to issues beyond COVID that might be contributing to these supply chain adjustments? Let me start with a, a couple of points there. Uh, first of all, I think because of COVID, and we saw this in the health industry, and now we're seeing this in semiconductor, the need to actually secure reliable supply is so very important. What that has meant is kind of what Alex was describing earlier is decisions around which suppliers to work with, creating even buffers of supply, for example, in semiconductors, creating some local capacity, whether it's possible in a short period of time, has been one shift for sure. Now, outside COVID, and this was happening before as well, I mean, I'm going to focus on China and the USMCA, the two big themes that are relevant for US manufacturers. I mean, the China trade issue for the last several years had already had companies thinking about their supply chain risks. And then you couple that with the Biden executive order that came out last month. And so what I'm seeing, what we are seeing is that US companies are really diversifying their supply chains. They're thinking of Vietnam and India, as opposed to just China, which was in the past. So again, some of this was already happening. But this has become a real footprint redesign sort of discussion. Certainly reshoring and nearshoring with Mexico, Canada, and of course the U.S. is another shift that we have. You add to that the USMCA, which of course created change in the incentives for U.S. manufacturers and certainly in the whole North America in terms of developing um, supply chain designs that would actually serve customers, their clients better from multiple perspectives. One is I see a discussion happening regarding Mexico versus U.S., where to put what sort of capacity in terms of capabilities and cost trade-offs, innovation, and of course, speed and responsiveness. So USMCA is essentially a complement to the China trade issue that we're seeing. And I, I see many of our manufacturers combining those two topics as they think about what products make by decisions, and then certainly thinking of new sources of supply as well. 
just to overlay a couple of thoughts from the the tax standpoint, what we're seeing, we definitely see companies actively diversifying or just rethinking the way they either manufacture or source product. We've seen companies still remaining in China. That seems to be just structurally critical source of supply, no matter how you think of it, at least for the foreseeable future. So rethinking just footprint and how companies are organized and where individuals are located, their roles, responsibilities relative to the country of origin is one critical piece of the focus, you know, from the tax standpoint. Your point on nearshoring or reshoring, Anil, is a really good one. We're definitely seeing a lot of focus or interest in getting either countries of origin or supply points closer to the locations of key markets for a variety of reasons. Companies wanting to shorten their supply chains, they're reacting to some of the regulatory requirements to produce closer to the, the key markets. We've definitely seen Mexico continuing to be a big beneficiary of that, either because companies already had significant footprint or because of some of those automation investments we had talked about, there's extra capacity being created in the system and companies are looking to fill it. So there's definitely a lot of focus on just near-shored production supply points south of the border, or in some cases being brought back onshore into the United States. And so all those things on the table and all those things from the tax perspective are very, very powerful as either matters that you need to focus on to make sure that we're doing good diligence and we're understanding the total cost of these decisions. But a lot of times there is opportunity that aligns with a company's strategic tax objectives. So let's talk a bit more about connecting the dots between these operating decisions and the tax implications that flow from them. Anil, back to you for this one. As operating executives make investments in supply chain in response to the new market threats caused by the pandemic, how receptive do you think these executives will be generally to the tax risk and opportunities of these decisions? So I'm finding, I'm putting my operations business strategy lens on. I think we're finding, I'm finding that operations executives are more and more aware of the tax implications. When they actually are businessmen, right? So they're actually thinking about the various risks and opportunities, but not everything, right? They're not tax experts yet. So what do they think about? They think about plants and, you know, manufacturing, factory and warehouse locations, which are closely linked to direct taxes and customs and other tax structures as well. They certainly think of capital investments, which is clearly happening right now with the shift in supply chain that we talked about earlier, and R&D. And how do they actually benefit from those investments that they make in recent years? Maybe less so on the sales side, where legal entity structure and more recently the implication of digital commerce and OECD style digital taxes are coming in. I think that's perhaps an area where operations executives in general are not as well-versed and aware. Now, beyond this, and there's some interesting shifts happening as well, some executives have begun to think of some of the unclear implications of several hedging instruments that they have begun to use more of. Blockchain-based trade finance models are coming in. And again, they're not sure how to anticipate those. These are still happening. Pilots are happening right now. And also services-based business model. That's a big shift. I mentioned earlier, digitization. And so services are being delivered remotely as well. So what does this mean from a tax perspective is a topic that they don't necessarily fully understand. But I think in all cases, I would say operations executives will likely welcome conversation with the tax colleagues. It's an important topic. It hits the bottom line. And so pretty important for most of my operations clients that I speak with. So Alex, how about the same question for you, except maybe come at it through the lens of a tax executive? What have you seen as best practices for a tax executive in engaging with other executives in the company around the tax implications of these broader business decisions? What an interesting time to be a tax executive sort of at the table as these major business changes are unfolding. There's a few things here. One is 
It's very clear to us that many of the existing supply chain sort of tax operating models are no longer fit for purpose. Okay, they were put in place many years ago when the businesses looked very differently from the operating perspective, sort of supply chain perspective. Tax rules looked very different. There were different sort of regulatory and reputational considerations in play. So many, if not most of the structures require adjusting to the de-risk them or to just make them more fit for purpose. So there's a huge need and also a huge opportunity from the tax perspective to kind of bring those models in alignment with the non-tax considerations. Having said that, there's a huge need and the opportunity, but the tax rules have become incredibly complex. And just thinking about the changes in the U.S. system, the changes in the global tax system, ongoing tax reforms rippling through these various tax regimes, and the tax implications have been really, really difficult to quantify and respond with clarity to those questions that, Anil, you know, you or your colleagues sort of on the CIO side of the house are asking. So it's a great opportunity. But it's also been really challenging to a tax executive to kind of answer these questions with clarity, to quantify these impacts. The good news is there are now more and more tools, you know, modeling capabilities emerging to more efficiently quantify these. I think the good news is that there's a lot of recognition both within the business and tax that we really need to be working together to kind of provide holistic answers to these questions, these dilemmas from the business perspective. And there are frankly multiple ways to rebuild that alignment between tax structures and operating models. So tremendous opportunity. It's a bit of a heavy lift. It does require a different mindset, different set of capabilities from the tax department perspective. But uh, John, a lot of exciting uh, things are happening on the tax side of the house in response to this. I could not agree with you more around that. Really an interesting time for tax executives to engage. So thank you, Alex and Anil, for joining me here today. Based on what we've seen in the market and validated by the results of our survey, it's clear that the pandemic has caused a significant disruption for manufacturers. At the same time, given the recent U.S. elections and the stress that the pandemic has placed on national budgets around the world, the global tax framework is also likely to change. As operating executives consider appropriate responses to deal with the challenges and opportunities of the disruption, there is a unique opportunity for companies to weave the tax implications of these responses into the company's broader decision-making process. So in conclusion, thanks to Anil and Alex for joining me here today. I look forward to continuing the dialogue with you both as companies emerge from the disruption. And to our listeners, I invite you to review our survey. I also thank you for joining us today, and I hope to have you join us again for our upcoming podcasts. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.